0: Alrighty. if you have your Bibles, please open them to 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to go start with verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. May God bless the reading of his word. Yeah, it's I've had a hard time writing this particular sermon because there's a lot to digest and a lot to think about and it's for I think the first time in 1 John we haven't had a clear-cut okay, this seems to make the most sense type of situation. Um and so you'll see as we go along about why that is. Um, let 's go ahead first sixteen. if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that um, all right, so John continues in the conclusion of his letter with some pastoral admonition. He begins with the idea of seeing a brother committing a sin. There are a few things to notice about this. The first is the concept of seeing. This is not the kind of um, big brother um, understanding of constantly watching each other, waiting for a brother to fall into sin. Instead, it is a brother who becomes aware of another brother or sister sinning. Likewise, we notice that this is not just anyone sinning, but again, specifically, it's a brother. So there's something to be said about that. We then notice John says something particular. That it is a sin not leading to death. This is a curious statement because in a technical sense, doesn't every sin lead to death? The answer is, well, yes, technically. However, what John is noticing here are those sins which one repents and turns away from. In other words, sins that one seeks forgiveness for and in turn is granted forgiveness by God. Such sin does not lead to death because the one who committed the sin is seeking reconciliation. And if this is not the case, if they can't um, be reconciled or they can't find forgiveness, then there would be no hope for life at all. So that seems to make the most sense with that. But now we come to an interesting portion of the verse, and that is when John says, He shall ask, and God will give him life. This is interesting for one reason, and that is, who is asking? Who is asking? Is the person who sees the brother committing a sin-asking, or is the brother who has fallen into sin-asking? There is some debate as to who it is that John is focusing on. Is the brother who sinned to ask and receive life? This makes sense when we consider it, for all have experienced this ourselves. When we do sin, we do go ourselves and ask God for forgiveness. At the same time, we are told often in the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, there are moments when intercession... For each other takes place. Consider what we read in James. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. As we see, the prayer of faith reflects those who are praying over the one who is ill. And as we see, it has repercussions. Hence, the one who asks here in 1 John could be the one who is seeing the brother committing a sin. Alright, so ultimately, what's the conclusion? I will say that after some consideration with the Greek, with commentators, with a dear friend, scholar of mine, um, it seems most likely that the one who, who is to ask, is the one who sees the sin, not the one committing the sin. This will be reflected on more later, but for now, and in this case, we as Christians should be praying for one another, for those we see commit sin, having hope that God will be merciful and bring them to life via repentance and forgiveness. John then elaborates some on those who commit the sins that do not lead to death. Again, the focus is on the one who has sinned being given life. If one repents and asks forgiveness, they will certainly find both through God's grace. In this way, the sin that they had fallen into can be forgiven and reconciliation can occur. And it is our responsibility, us as believers, to pray for each other, to pray for other believers in such circumstances. Therefore, not unto death is again a sinful act that does not lead to death because forgiveness can occur because forgiveness is sought and granted. John now says something which is just as interesting um, as what was said previously, which is, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. First, we notice that there's a sin that does lead to death. This is opposite of sin that does not lead to death, as we can notice. The question is, what is the sin? The answer to this has been varied. Some believe it is the unpardonable sin, but that seems unlikely since in context that was focused on those who claim the work of the Holy Spirit, specifically through Jesus, was actually the work of the devil. That sin is unpardonable according to Jesus. Some others have held that sin that leads to death are mortal sins, um, such as murder, adultery, those kinds of sins. While in the Old Testament there are certainly different punishments for different sins, it seems unlikely that it is in view here, especially when we consider the vice lists in the New Testament, such as the one in 1 Corinthians, which we read, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not, be, not, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor violers, nor swindlers, will inherit the, um, the kingdom of God. Paul then says in the next verse that, as such were some of you. Not many of these vices would lead to death in the law, though certainly some would. Regardless, we learn that those who live in such lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hence, it is unlikely that John here is referencing just those particular sins in the Old Testament when describing sins that lead to death, because they can be forgiven. So what is it? In the context of the letter of 1 John, remember that John has condemned three things in particular. The first is improper belief in Jesus. That is, having incorrect doctrines will guarantee that one is outside of life and is in death. The second is lifestyle or ethics or morality. How one lives can show whether or not one has life and one is saved. Finally, relationally in love is the third. If one does not love others, particularly God and brothers and sisters of the faith, then the evidence points to one not belonging to Christ. So when John discusses this concerning sin that leads to death and sin that does not lead to death, we need to remember much of what John has already said. He has already stated Christians will fall into sin, while at the same time recognizing that those who place their faith in Christ have an intercessor on their behalf. Thus, those who have correct doctrine who seek righteousness and love, and though they fall into sin, that sin will not lead to death because of Christ. Those, however, who do not hold proper doctrines, who don't believe the necessary things concerning Jesus, those who live um, consistent lifestyles of sin and unlove, to such the sin they commit lead to death. Is there a difference in the act of sins? Not necessarily. The difference is really in the person who commits the sin. Those who commit the sin without repentance or faith in Christ sin unto death, for they do not have an intercessor in Christ. Those who sin, who repent and place their faith in Christ, do still sin. We've all done that. But they have an intercessor in Christ, thus their sin does not lead to death. Um, Now, one of my commentators, Yarbrough, says it best. To sin unto death is to have a heart unchanged by God's love in Christ, and so to persist in convictions and acts and commitments like those John and his readers know to exist among ostensibly Christian people of their acquaintance, some of whom have now left those whom John addresses. Thus those who claim to be in Christ... And yet do not hold to the full confession of who Jesus is, will find their sins are also not forgiven. And therefore those sins will lead to death. It is not only those who are atheists or of different religions. Even those who claim Christ, who claim Jesus, can fall into this kind of situation who may profess Jesus but do not live according to him as we see in Matthew 7. As John has repeatedly pointed out, we cannot only seek right doctrines or lifestyles or love, but must seek all of them out in the truth of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, we then wonder what John says when he says, I do not say one should pray for that. The best way to understand this is that John is neither recommending, nor is he not recommending, that we pray for those who are in sin leading to death. Instead, he is focusing on believers who fall into sin. In such situations, it is our responsibility to pray for them and to help them seek reconciliation. When it comes to those who are outside of the faith, however, John grants the readers trust in such circumstances. Does this mean that John is saying that there are times we shouldn't pray for those who are not Christian? The answer is yes. Does that mean that we should never pray for those who are not Christian? The answer is no. I think we have all been in situations when we pray for unbelievers in hopes that God would grant grace and mercy in our lives. That is the right thing to do. At the same time, we have all likely had a situation when it becomes obvious that maybe we should cease praying for such individuals. But this kind of ceasing should not be done out of spite or hatred, but directed by God. Last week we saw, for example, this happen with Jeremiah and even with Moses God told Jeremiah, stop praying for the people. Sometimes to obey God's will is to stop praying for something or someone. It's with this that I mention a few things that Yarbrough, again, the commentator, one of the commentators I read, notices concerning all of this. The first is the recognition that John does not blanket who we are to pray for. We must certainly pray for believers, but John leaves it open whether it comes to unbelievers. He leaves it up to us and our hearts and our wisdom in seeking the will of God when it comes to unbelievers. Second, it reminds us that we do not know whom God is going to call for his glory. He considers Peter and Judas. Peter denied Jesus three times, and yet God brought him back. Judas betrayed Jesus, and God did not bring him back. Because of this, we recognize God is in control, and for that reason, John does not say we must not pray for those who are outside of the faith, nor does he say that we should or we need to. Third, there is a recognition that to pray for someone is to take up someone's case before God. And because of this, unanswered prayers might cause disenchantment with God. Therefore, for the sake of the intercessor, that is Christians, John may leave it open for us to be aware by the power of the Spirit, when to pray for those outside of the faith and when to cease praying trusting in God's judgment, similar to when God again told Moses and Jeremiah to stop praying for their people. In other words, we shouldn't pray against the will of God, but for God's will to be done. Fourth, there is a danger of praying for those who, by God's decree, are worthy of death. It may show an unwillingness for us to acknowledge a full confession of Jesus, which calls for repentance and faith. Thus, those who pray might some for something might again be tempting to stand in the way of God's will, which is for this individual to face death. Ultimately, when it comes to the unbeliever, the only way we can only way to know when one should pray under such circumstances is to trust God to lead you in your prayers. Sometimes God will have you cease praying like he did for the prophets in the Old Testament, and sometimes he will want you to pray like he did with the prophets in the Old Testament. Sometimes we get befuddled in life. In the end, seek the will of God in prayer and trust in his wisdom and his righteousness in these situations. That's the best we can do. Um, all right, now verse 17. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. John closes by recognizing that all wrongdoing is sin. This is something which was brought up in 1 John 1.9, when John emphasized that God is faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The word unrighteousness is the same as wrongdoing here. The point is that sin is always worthy of judgment when it comes to God. When believers have a wrongdoing, it is a sin just as it is with an unbeliever. And perhaps that is a reminder for us to remember the grace of God in our lives. However, John importantly adds that not all sin leads to death. This ends with hope and a reminder of what John has said throughout the letter that though we do fall into sin, if we are in Christ, we have an intercessor who grants life rather than death. It also reminds us that this life is a gift. Though we are deserving of death, if we are in Christ, then life is granted rather than death that we deserve. All right. The main point. The main point of these two two verses are to give important truths. The first truth is that there there are sins that do not lead to death, mainly because these sins can be sought in forgiveness and repentance, and God does grant forgiveness, and He can grant forgiveness. The focus of this, however, is for believers. For those who are unbelievers, however, there is a sin that leads to death because they do not seek repentance, they do not seek forgiveness or faith. Ultimately, all wrongdoing is sin, but those who are in Christ have an intercessor on their behalf. Because of him, um, their sin does not lead to death. All right, some application points. This week and last week, we've spent some time on prayer. Last week, prayer was focused on seeking out the will of God, that we can pray for anything. And if we are seeking God's will, then when we pray, we can be sure that all of our requests will be answered. This makes sense since God's will be done regardless of the situations we find ourselves in. Today, we are given even more to digest concerning praying, and that is for one another. The truth is, we are to pray for one another. We are to pray for each other in circumstances that are beyond our control, such as when one of us falls into illness, or if we are traveling, things like these. These things are right. We should pray for them. They are good for us to pray for. However, we should also be praying for each other not to stumble, to remain steadfast, to experience God's grace and mercy, to have a deeper understanding of God's love through his gospel. Likewise, we should be praying for each other when we do stumble, when we do see a brother or sister fall into sin. This is when the discussion ultimately leads us back to last week's discussion on prayer and knowing that God's will be done. If we consider it, John focused on believers praying for brothers who stumbled into sin. The fact that John calls these individuals brothers is recognition that these are true believers who have done a wrongdoing. The goal for us is to ask For God, ask God to grant said individual life, that Jesus Christ would be more to them. From an application standpoint, there is much to unpack. First, there is a recognition that our prayers are being heard by God. He hears us when we pray. It is not just that we pray to some unseen, unknowable force. Instead, we pray to a God who hears us, who knows us, and wants us to go to him in prayer. In this way, our prayers do something. It reveals our hearts before God, and God is faithful to carefully listen to us as we seek his will. In this way, prayers do have repercussions in this life for the ones who are being led to pray for and for ourselves to remember the God's sovereignty. Second, we recognize that if this is a believer, a true believer who has fallen into sin, then it makes perfect sense for us to pray for them. And it makes perfect sense to expect God to move in the person's life and grant them life. Consider it. John has emphatically declared that those who confess Jesus is the Son of God, those who seek a lifestyle of righteousness rather than sin, and those who love have eternal life. They have been granted the Son as a gift. Because of this, we can pray for our brothers and sisters of the faith who stumble into sin with expectations. Because if they are in the life, then God will keep them in the life. The life is Jesus Christ, which is what John has been saying all along. So if believers are already in life, then for God to give them life is just a further reflection of something that they already have. It is for God to continue to give them life. And it is for us to trust that because it is a gift from God, he will give it and finish what it is that he had started in a person's life. I think this observation causes us to really consider the power of what is being said here. It reminds us that God is very active in our lives. He is active in the life he has given us. The life will change us. It will cause us to seek him in truth, to know true doctrines of our God. This life will cause us to live for him in repentance, seeking righteousness rather than sin. This life will cause us to love God and each other as we have been called to love. We are to seek God's will, and we know it is God's will that we should pray for our brothers and sisters in such circumstances. And because it is God's will, we can be sure that if they are true believers of Christ, then God will have them continue in this life in repentance and faith. We shouldn't necessarily expect instantaneous change. We are all works in progress. Sometimes sin is revealed to us in time. Sometimes we are unaware of a sin we have had for a long time in our life, and then God simply reveals it to us. Sometimes we struggle with certain sins in cycles, where it will come back and we will struggle with it and fall, and by God's grace, we will learn to get back up just to be knocked down again. So it is with this that we can encourage each other with our prayers, fully expecting God's will to be done, which is to lead each of us further into life. We can pray expecting God to move within us because he has moved already within us. And we can know that such an experience with God will be a change which comes for our benefit and will be lasting. Continue then to pray for one another, to be intercessors for each other in the faith, to encourage each other. If we see another stumble in sin, seek reconciliation Pray for them. Be used by God to be an instrument of His will to pull each other away from the pit. Not in a big brother, always watching, creepy kind of way, but in love, in grace, in peace. Trusting in the power of God to change us, trusting in the power of God to grant life to us from death. Now, this leads us to our second point. Something John has not been hesitant to state is that we will stumble. We found that out early in 1 John when John says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And then into the first verse of the next chapter. My little children, I am writing these things to you, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So today, at the end of the letter... John brings us back to this very reality that brothers can and do stumble into sin. This is something which we should all take to heart. All too often we can be too self-righteous to the point of not acknowledging our own sins. But the truth is we do sin. We do fall into sin. There are times when we fail, when we stumble, when we are guilty of a wrongdoing just as those who are not Christians are. The difference between us, however, is that we do have life. This life is not our own. It is granted to us by God's grace. It is given to us as a gift, given to us by God through his Son. His Son intercedes on our behalf. So it is through recognizing our own limitations, recognizing our own depravity, that we can recognize we are in desperate need for an intercessor, desperate need for atonement. And in this way, we can recognize that atonement that has been made through Jesus Christ. Now, this should give us incredible hope. It gives us hope knowing that the weight of perfection is, in a way, off of our shoulders. It gives us hope knowing that though we may struggle against sin and though we may fail, if we seek repentance, faith, and forgiveness, we can be sure to find it from God. It is not that we are not to seek or aim for perfection. Of course we are. We should always seek righteousness and always desire perfection. Yet at the same time, we need to acknowledge that in this life, we won't hit the target. But the grace of God is recognizing that though we miss the target, God still guides us back on course. The life given to us by God is one which is eternal and complete. It is full in and of itself. It does not need us to make it whole. It is already whole, and we can partake of it. There is so much hope here that it should cause us to burst when we think about it. Knowing that if we belong to God, nothing can separate us from his love. Remembering the very real promise of Romans 8, that nothing can separate the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. If only those who heard that understood what that meant. If only those who have at one point claimed Jesus really understood what it meant to have the Son of God to be granted life. So many are deceived into thinking false doctrines, false lifestyles, false loves. Yet for those who understand it, it is as Paul says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Only the power of God could cause John to say, there is sin that does not lead to death. Think about that. Only the power of the cross, of Christ, can cause us to recognize that though we sin, we are not lost or abandoned. But that by God, by his life, by his power, we will continue this life and power within us. This is not to glory in sin. We can never seek sin and say, more grace for me. But it is to remember the power of God himself and to praise him for what he has done through Jesus. I think that we have all been there. We have all stumbled. We have all wondered about our brokenness and longed for it to be mended completely. For those of you who have struggled, who do struggle, who are struggling, for those who have stumbled, who do stumble, remember to turn to God. Remember the confession of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Seek forgiveness. Seek repentance. Seek the life that God has granted and let that live through you, knowing that it is a complete life in and of itself. We will likely never be fully satisfied with our lives. We will always be sojourners while we live here. And because of this, we will never feel complete until the return of Jesus Christ, until the kingdom come. However, we can seek and attain peace by the power of God. We can know this life, which is, which is Christ, and we can live in this life, which is Christ. Seek this above all, and desire to glorify God forevermore with your life. Though you may stumble, though you may fall, know that God is strong enough to reach through these prison bars to set us free. He is strong enough to bring salvation. He is strong enough to lift us out of the pit. Though we may sin, remember the one interceding who is Christ himself. And remember those who God calls, your brothers and sisters of the faith, who also intercede on your behalf. Now this is going to be a quick concluding remark concerning our prayer for those outside of the faith. As we remember, John neither forbids nor demands that we pray for those who are outside of the faith. He does not say that we should not pray for those who are in sin leading to death, nor does he say that we should not pray for them. Um, Which is really, again, interesting because he's very black and white except for this point throughout the letter. So, again, discernment is key here. Remember that ultimately salvation is in God's hands. He is the one who saved us from our mire and he is fully capable of saving anyone from the pit. Therefore, we should desire to pray for those who are outside of the Christian faith knowing that God is fully capable of bringing them into the faith. At the same time, We are to be wise in recognizing that if God causes us to cease praying, then we should. Generally, if John cannot give you a firm statement on what that entails, then I cannot either. (laughs) Sorry. Instead, continue to make yourself open to the will of God and trust him to guide you and to lead you as you pray for his will and his glory. We can't be hard-hearted. But we can't ignore that the majority of the prayers which we are to pray are for those who are um, embattled, those who are surrounded by enemies on all sides. This does not mean we shouldn't pray for others, for those outside of the faith, and for their salvation. We certainly should. But the majority of our prayers should be for each other. This is something we learn from Jesus himself in his prayer in the garden. And I want to real quick read some of that today. Consider what he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. What we notice from this section of this beautiful prayer is verse 9, which says, I am, not, I am praying for them, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. This prayer is not for unbelievers. It is for those who belong to Christ. His prayer for perseverance is for those who were once in the world, but were taken out of the world by Christ. Perhaps then this is the kind of understanding we are to have. We can't pray for perseverance of the world into life because the world does not belong to Christ. It doesn't have life. But we can pray that those in the world will be taken out. We can pray that God will be glorified through redemption and reconciliation. There are certain things we can pray for, specifically for Christians, that we simply cannot pray for non-Christians. We cannot pray that an unbeliever remains in life if they do not have life to begin with. It is only once they have been given life that we can ask God and expect God to keep that life in them. These are just things to consider. Seek God, his scriptures, and ask for wisdom in regards to all of this. There is no clear-cut example to give, no line to draw. The best we can do is seek faithfulness and trust in God that he will lead us rightly according to his will. Trust in that. And trust in Jesus Christ, who is the life, who is in you if you hold to the right doctrines and belief through confession, through seeking a lifestyle of righteousness, through repentance from sin, and seek love for the Father, and given to your brothers and sisters of the faith. In all of this, we consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is only through the gospel that we find the power of God, and this power is able to give us life from death. It is in Christ alone that life is given to us, and it is only through his gospel we can attain that which is altogether unattainable on our own. For though we were once dead in our sin, God gave us life. And that is a beautiful thing. This gospel begins with our origins. God created this cosmos according to the power of his word. Last of all, he created humanity to bear his image. Um, Because God is a God of love, Of reason, he knows, can be known, has personhood, is moral, and displays hesed, we can as well. It is because of this that we find dignity, sanctity, and worth to all human life. But like God, we are also able to choose. We could either choose to follow God in obedience into life, or follow sin and disobedience and into death. We chose the latter and have continued to make that choice ever since. Because of this, our relationship with God, ourselves, each other, and the world are broken. And it's because of this, because of our sin, that we have a moral guilt before our God. And unfortunately, it is not just a feeling of guilt, but true guilt before a righteous judge. Thankfully, God did not leave us in this place of darkness forever. Instead, he sent his light and spoke his word into the darkness, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. It is by his blood we are cleansed from our sins. We are redeemed through his sacrifice on the cross, and our relationships begin to be restored through him. His victory in life over death becomes our victory in life over death. All that is required of us is obedience in two things. The first is repentance. We are to live lifestyles of repentance away from sin and toward God. We are to live our lives for the glory of God. We can know that God, um, what glorifies God through the life of Christ or revelation of the scriptures by walking in step with the Spirit who indwells all believers, walking in love. The second is faith in Christ. We are to recognize our complete and total dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation. It is not what we do but what Christ has done, which saves us from the judgment we deserve because of our sin. We are to recognize that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. For those who are disobedient in these things, they remain in condemnation for their sins. Those who do not confess their sins as sin and continue to live a lifestyle of sin instead of repentance remain in darkness. Their deeds, even their most righteous acts, are as filthy rags before God. Therefore, without an advocate, without an intercessor on their behalf, they will experience the judgment of God for their sins. Yet there is hope. For though we are all in this state prior to conversion, we can be sure that God has made a way through Christ. For those who are obedient in these things, there are no longer condemnations, there's no longer judgment, there's love. Those who are in Christ experience the love of the Father that is reserved only for His Son. They become God's very own children. In this life, they can have victory over sin by the power of the Spirit within them, and then in the next life, they will inherit an eternal kingdom where they will experience the peace of God forevermore. My hope is that you would continue in the grace given to you, that this community of believers would be brothers' keepers who would watch over one another in love and intercede on behalf of one another in love. That we would pray for those on the outside, but that we would also seek wisdom in our prayers, desiring the will of God above all else in our lives. His mercy is great and his love is eternal. And we have all of this and more through Jesus Christ, his Son. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace, we thank you for your mercy, and again we thank you for this eternal love which is given to us by your Son, Jesus Christ. You have done so much for us, Lord. Things that we cannot even perceive, things that we don't even see, you've done. You've sustained us when we didn't even realize we needed to be sustained. You've persevered us when we were unconscious, unaware. You have given us life, and this life is complete. And for this, Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for this community of believers to watch over one another in love. And for our friends in the faith, our brothers and sisters of the faith, who we also watch over. We thank you for the witness of this love. We thank you for each other. And we thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you have done through Jesus Christ. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn.